Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. I'm your host, Katie Thompson. Thanks for tuning in today. I have a special, special episode for you guys today. On the show is... Chris Donahue. And you may not know him by name, but there's a very good chance that you have either seen him play bass with one of your favorite bands or you've heard him play bass on one of your favorite songs, one of your favorite recordings. Chris has literally played with everybody and their brother. And he's predominantly the bassist for Emmy Lou Harris and the Red Dirt Boys. But He's played with the likes of Robert Plant, Elvis Costello, Collective Soul, The Civil Wars, um, Patty Griffin, Kristen Chenoweth. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And truthfully, to really even understand how long that list is, you have to go to his website because those are only just a couple names. Um it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with Chris and discuss his incredibly extensive career. He is just the nicest ind- individual, and I, I'm i just in awe that I had somebody like this guy on the podcast. So, Chris, if you're listening, thanks again, man, and I really hope that we get to have that cup of coffee that we were talking about in uh well, within a couple of weeks, actually, I'll be in town. So without further ado, guys, we're just going to jump right into this uh, episode. He and Aaron are, are good friends, and so we had the best time together. So this is Chris Donahue. Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, everybody. It's your host, Katie Thompson, here. And then somewhere on your screen is Aaron McClendon. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do it. You have to, every time. <laughs> Every time. So uh, with us today is Chris Donahue. And Chris and Aaron are very good friends. And Chris, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show today to talk about your your amazing career. I just I can't wait to dive in with you. Thanks. I'm, 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 me too. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> so Chris Donahue, the reason you and the reason he and I know each other is because he has played on every single one of my projects. <laughs> in Nashville, including the ones that were released and then got taken down. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I know him as uh, the bassist extraordinaire and also just like one of the most humble guys you'll ever meet in Nashville, truly. Because you, you look at your uh, resume, I guess, as you wanna, if you want to call it that, and you should have this giant ego, really. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't. And you're just a great human. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's because of the good graces of others. You know, I mean, there's, there's obviously hard work and preparation that go into being able to do what I do, but it's, it's, it's owing almost all to other people um, that I've gotten to play with so many different people and have all these experiences and travel and things. So, and uh, I don't take it for granted, especially not now. (laughs) especially after the last couple of years i don't think any of us take the ability to play music for granted or especially to perform it with other people in the room like we're able to do again yeah yeah so absolutely um and again i will reiterate one of the most humble people in (laughs) (laughs) so chris i would love for you to tell us kind of like your background story when you got started how you got started and um, when I first met you, I think you just finished uh, being on tour with 
the, either the Civil Wars or Robert Plant. But those are two huge names. So. Yeah. Um, where do you want, how far back do you want to go? Um, well, Katie and I are always big on learning where people got their education from since she and I are both music educators and as are you. Um, so I'd love to go back there and kind of why the bass, where did you get inspired and all of that kind of fun stuff. Okay. So I, I'm originally from New York. I was born in New York city and grew up just outside of New York city. Um, and, uh, grew up listening to the radio in the seventies listening to hit radio in the seventies. That was, uh, I was born in 68. So by the time I was taking music in consciously, um, I was listening to hit radio and, and which at the time represented all genres of music, all different styles of music, unlike now. Um, so that I, I, I banged on Tupperware when I was a kid and that led to some guitar lessons when I was 11 at a music store close to my house. I took a few lessons, but then, um, I was mostly just jam, you know jamming with friends in basements and garages for a few years in high school. I was actually um, I continued to play guitar. I still obviously still play guitar, but in high school I was a percussionist. So in terms of more formal education, um, that's where it started in playing in high school concert band and playing for musicals and things like that. So that's where I learned to read. Um, after high school, for the first few years of college, I jammed with a lot of people. Still played in some bands. And then uh, I moved to New Orleans for a couple of years during my uh, uh, I, I moved during my senior year of college and stayed in New Orleans for three years. And at that time, I was a bit burned out on playing so much. And just to jump back a little bit um, after high school, I, I started playing bass with uh, uh, because the, the classic story, we needed a bass player. Any of them. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Great. And then I really began to fall in love with it. Also, because when I was uh, all the stuff that I loved as a young person, all the bands that I would listen to were actually bass forward bands. Um, so we'd be talking about any, you know, obviously starting with the Beatles, which is some of the music I heard uh, from my earliest years uh, and then up through uh, uh Rush. Yes. King Crimson, all the Prague stuff and the who and so lots of bass everywhere. And I, and I, I really enjoyed playing it once I decided to take it up. Um, in, when I moved to new Orleans though, I was a little burned out on playing. And so I decided to just stop and listen for a while. So I worked in the art business while I was there and, and, um, but would go and see and hear a lot of music too. And, 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 the uh, uh, the musicals, I, I absorbed the musical spirit of that city in my own way. Um, it's, it, it definitely set, uh, <laughs> set me in certain directions from that point on. Now, when I, when I left new Orleans, I was still in the art business, but I got an offer to tour part-time with a friend who had a record deal and was making, uh, this was for an, with an industrial band and he had a record deal. He was making records in his basement, but he was in the cutting edge of sampling and all that. And he went on to actually work on Spider-Man movies and he, he became kind of a big deal in that world. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I toured with his band for a little while and um, playing bass, um, even though I had started to listen to uh, uh, classic jazz, blues, um, and my, my taste really began to open up. And I was actually listening to a lot of singer-songwriter stuff, too, because we had a great new station in New York at that time. Still do WFUV, but the programming 
at this time in the early 90s, early to mid 90s was was all AAA Americana roots rock, very, very eclectic and Celtic music and all the, you know, all, all this great stuff. So I was hearing that too. Um, when I was on during one weekend out with the industrial band, I met a guy whose roommate was uh, moving out. He lived in Nashville. We met in Atlanta. I was playing a festival. He said, I don't know if you ever think about moving to Nashville, but my roommate's moving out. And and at the time I was seeing a woman from Atlanta and thought, oh, well, that's it. I wouldn't have thought of that. But yeah, you know, I'm in my early mid twenties. If I'm going to try playing music full time, now would be a really good time to do it before I have other people really depending on me for anything. So I, I wound up taking up taking him up on his offer and I moved here in 94. Um, and when I moved here, the last thing I'll say from an educational standpoint and from all that is that uh, when I moved here though, I realized um, I'm going to, there, there are certain jobs I can get now. There are certain projects I'd be asked to play on, certain artists that I work with now. But over time, I'm going to age out of those and I'll probably start aging into some other ones and I want to be prepared for that. So I then uh, went back and studied some classical double bass with uh, one of the symphony musicians here at that time. Um, I got my reading skills back uh, and, and I tried to make, you know, lay the groundwork to be as versatile a musician as I could be so I can work over time in as many different settings as possible and do hopefully most of them with some degree of authenticity. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, that gets us to the mid nineties. I don't know where you want to go from there. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, that's awesome. From what I'm hearing is just basically thinking ahead is a lot of how you got where you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, I, I did so just by default, I think, because it felt it was a big deal moving here and going all in on music and not knowing what was going to happen. And I had, I was flying pretty low to the ground. I, right after I moved here, actually, I was injured in, uh, at a job that I held and was flat on my back for about three months with um, sciatica. And I had to, it was, you know, it, it dragged on. But during that time, I met uh, the woman who has become my partner. And so uh, we, we, um, that was, and then the first job that I got after that, when I was sort of coming out of that phase, was with a was with a band called the Vigilantes, based out of Atlanta, and they were on Capricorn Records out of Georgia, and I was with them for about a year. So it was interesting. Like I moved to Nashville, but the first job I get is with a band from Atlanta, that you know, sort of full time music gig. So I wound up commuting a lot, and it was they were based in Athens, and so it was just a six hour drive, and and. Um, and if they were to, if we were touring to the West, they'd come through <laughs> and pick me up. If, if we were going somewhere else, I'd drive down there and we'd go wherever we were going. But, um, but yeah, and all the time though, I, I, I think it's also because I listened to so many different kinds of music that I, I didn't want to feel like I was just sort of going to be this one, that I was going to have this single musical personality my whole life. And I also had met some older musicians, uh, after moving here and I looked at where they were at in their fifties for, you know, forties through sixties, say thought like, I like that. I don't think I'd want to be that. Um, <laughs> but what do I need to do now? Yeah. I mean, what, how I, I, I need to keep as many options open as possible. Um, and clearly that worked for you because just l I'm looking at your, um, your website right now and the names that you've worked with, it, it ranges 
a lot. You go mm-hmm. from like the first name is Emmy Lou Harris, then you scroll down a little bit, and it's Kristen Chenoweth, and then you keep going more, and then it's Robert Plant, and then you take another left turn into Lucinda Williams, and then another <laughs> turn into Ben Rector, and then another turn into Steve Earle. Mm-hmm. And did I see um, Steve Martin on there? Yeah. yeah. How wow. cool. So uh, as I was saying uh, at the beginning, uh, I owe that I, that list of names that I'm able to carry with me. I, I owe uh, many, if not most of them, to Emmy Lou Harris because she's. Oh. I, st- I started working with her in 2006, and sh- she has been my long. That's been my most long-standing job that I've held. Um, and there was a little, took, she took a little hiatus to do some Rodney Crowell stuff in 2013, 2014, but, but it's coming up now on, um, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're over 15 years. Wow. Right? Yeah. So, and the thing is, she's so well respected. She's so beloved by musicians of all kinds. And she's, I think most people would think of her as country, but she's, to me, her, she defines her own genre because of all these collaborations that she's done over the years. And, and, um, uh, so, so many people love her that they want to play with her. And if they come to play with her, I've gotten to play with them. Right. Because I was playing with her. So a lot of those names on there come from that relationship. Um, uh, so Steve Martin, since you asked, he, he, you know, he, he plays, uh, uh, gosh, I mean, I remember listening to his albums when I was, when I was a kid and, uh, and I remember listening and being blown away by his banjo playing. I didn't love the banjo, but I was like, I was astonished, you know, <laughs> I didn't see it coming the first time I heard it. And, um, uh, uh, so he plays with the steep Canyon Rangers and he was touring a lot. Uh, this would have been, or, uh, oh, probably 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, so we did some shows with Steep Canyon Rangers and he would come up and play a few songs with us. We'd build some bluegrass into the set. And and actually, Emmy and Steve are connected through Emmy's tour manager, Maple Byrne, who used to road manage Steve in the 70s during the wild, crazy years. Like when <laughs> Steve Martin was in his ascendancy, Maple was, it was he and Maple running around the country and the world together. Wow. So, um, so that was a very... Uh, uh, it was fortuitous, yeah, and and he was delightful, shy, and uh, and um, and but very great. Not how I would describe Steve Martin. No, not at all. <laughs> no, that's that's the thing. It's he's uh, yeah, and I, I I sometimes wondered if it's just because you know outside of acting and comedy as a musician, he just wants to be part of the ensemble. He doesn't. He's in that awkward position of being of. Uh, an icon, an entertainment icon, but he just wants to sort of dissolve in, in, in with, uh, into the background to be uh, part of the band, you know? And so I think I, aside from, I know, I've, I mean, I've heard that he's very shy um, from other, other places too, but uh, I think that's, that's what it was, but very friendly, not withdrawn, but just, you know, quiet and, and just getting down to it, uh, playing the banjo and having a great time. I love that. That's an awesome. Yeah. 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 It was, it's, it has an impact on you when you get to play music aside alongside of some of these people and real have those moments where like, Oh, they don't really, you know, for for those in those beautiful transcendent moments, 
they forget who they are. They are able to forget who they are. And, and so are we, because we're all just making this thing happen in real time, this musical thing and, and stand shoulder to shoulder. And it's really, it's really an incredible experience. Can you talk about maybe one of the most transcendent moments you've had on stage and what artist that was with? Well, I'll, 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 I'll go with a really obvious one for, for first. Um, I did a tour with Tom Jones uh, in 2014. So that to me from, you know, from the time I got the email was a huge deal. And uh, whereas ordinarily um, I'd listen to all the songs and make the charts, show up at rehearsal, see what's what, and gradually start to learn the material. I thought, nope. I don't care. They they started sending songs, 50 something songs. And I'm like, I'm going to learn every one of these right now because I don't want to be reading a chart. I want to have my <laughs> eyes right on him the whole time. So the first the first gig I did with him was at the Ryman. And I have never like there have been uh, maybe only a few times when I, when I've been on the stage, the artist is introduced and there is just this roar coming from like this, this energy. Uh, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. That. Was that I around like 2013, 2014? 2014. Mm-hmm. I was working at the Ryman when that show happened. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. I was a, I was a tour guide at the Ryman and wow. that I remember that day very specifically because I've never seen so many middle-aged women act like 13 year olds in my life. <laughs> well, um, and, and yes, they, you know, they did throw lingerie. They did. <laughs> I have, I have um, on my coat did hanger. Did any of them hit you? <laughs> I had, the, you know, they were all over the place, and I didn't want to be. I didn't. Not that I'm sorry. night. No, 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 no. That's this is this is Tom Jones. This is what comes with the territory, right? So, um, flowers, notes, uh, uh, you know, photos. Lingerie, all sorts of stuff wound up on the stage. Oh my god! And, and the last night of the of the tour that I did, I asked um, the gentleman who was my tech. I said, "I don't want to be. Could you discreetly just save me something? <laughs> you know, pick, pick whatever, pick whatever is over there in my world, and and leave me with just just toss it in my pedal board case and end up. So I've got it on my coat rack over there. I've got a, a pair of panties." So, <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to take a souvenir from a Tom Jones show. Yeah, of course. That's what you and do. Then, and like again, for that... days after, people will be like, which dressing room was his dressing room? And we like, mm-hmm. there might be days where we went into it and there might, there might not have been. And it's like, oh, well, we're not going to go into that one today. And he'd be like, no. And I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> I would not get tipped on those tours. <laughs> but the days that we did go into that room, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's understandable. He's, he's, he's definitely larger than life. And he was, he was uh, uh, just, um, uh, a, a, yeah, a ball of energy and, and sang his ass off and, um, alpha, you know, he was an alpha dog yeah. on that, on that stage. And it was just so, it was so, uh, so fun to get to, to feed on that as, yeah. and, and, to, and be there to support that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, since you mentioned Robert Plant, another, another moment like that I had, which, and sort of what I was explaining earlier about how it's nice for some of these artists, it's actually kind of a relief to be able to just be in the band 
there was a moment playing with with Robert Plant when um, Buddy Miller is another has been over the years for me another major point of connection and I've gotten to meet and play with a lot of people because of my association with Buddy. Um, and that's where that's where the Robert uh, connection came from. And we were playing at uh, Cannery during the Americana Awards one year. And I forget what song we were playing, but it turned into a big jam. And, and Robert, I, I had Robert on one side of me and Patty Griffin on the other. Huh. And, oh. and Robert was not singing. He was playing harp. He was just like, you know, he had his mic up here and he's playing harmonica the whole time. And, and uh, it just felt like the stage elevated, you know, and, and wow. I think we all kind of got lost in that musical reverie together. It was really beautiful. Um, I literally just got goosebumps because I right? can only imagine. And I get... I, 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 there's one more thing that comes to mind if you're interested. In yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, yes, please tell us about her. So yes. That was, um, <laughs> that was uh, I, I, I do work with the Nashville Symphony sometimes. Prim primarily, I'm called in when they have a rhythm section needed for um, for some of the pop series concerts that they do. So uh, that's what that was. Kristen was coming in and she had a, um, a set material and so the rhythm section was all local players um she had her her md and her drummer i think they they would do these shows with her but everyone else was local contracted locally so <clears throat> um i certainly you know i'm i've i love musical theater i'm uh, certainly was a fan of hers and her work and as a personality she was just delightful and still you know we're in the symphony hall um uh, trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep my cool and everything, but I'm appreciating this moment for what it is. And then the first couple of shows, we, the, I think we did maybe three or four performances. The first, the first couple was, um, Zingo, the strings of my heart, a standard that she, that, that was in the set. And it would start with she and I just as a duo, I'm playing, she's singing. And she would be, she was starting, she actually would get on top of the piano and stretch out and look at me singing like this and I'm, and I'm playing and I'm, 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 you know, I'm reading too. thought after the, after the, after the second show, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to miss that moment again. And I told her and uh, her musical director, just so you know, I actually know this tune. I'm going to just, I'm just going to play and, and, and make, keep eye contact with her at the top, if that's okay. So I'm not going to play, I'm basically not going to play what's on the page, the first 16 bars. And so I, I, <laughs> when she did, got up there that night, the next show, and, and I got to make eye contact with her while she was kind of, you know, being flirty and funny with me too. That was, that was delightful. And I think it actually caught her off guard a little bit too, because like, she's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're going to stay here with me now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, year was that? Because the la I think the last time she came through Nashville, I was also at that show. <laughs> I would, if I had to guess, I would say 2018, maybe 17, 18, 19, not too long ago. Okay. Um, just maybe just a year or so pre pandemic, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. I think she came through in like 2015, 2016, okay. and then probably again the following years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, the only reason I know those years is because my hair was bright pink. 
That's my only <laughs> indicator of time. Nice. Um, but no, that's it. I was about to say, how many times have we crossed paths before we ever actually crossed paths, Chris? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, gosh, that's so fun. I had no idea. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, but wow. I, so there you go. Yeah, there's just a, just a few. That that's is amazing. insane. To give you guys an idea of like how how I mean, obviously you know how incredible Chris is. But if you listen to any of my albums that are out there right now, the baseline was written and performed by Chris. Yep. <laughs> and I always get so many compliments on it because here's the and I want to talk about the difference between being a live player and a session player um, because when it comes to what I did with you, it was basically just like, okay, here are my influences. Here's what I would love to hear. And everybody's just kind of sitting in a group. And then I just kind of give the session musicians license to play what was on the page, but also like be creative with it. Cause I wanted it to be unique and authentic. I didn't just want it to be copy paste go. Right. Um, and one of the biggest things that I appreciate, appreciate that you did for me was I'm obsessed with Paul McCartney. And so you gave me a lot of Paul McCartney lines. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when we did um, Fire and Wine, I was like, you know, I really want that like kind of sexy vibe, you know, like that that Led Zeppelin Beatles kind of vibe. You're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and you did that, obviously, because you played with people like Robert Plant. <laughs> but I grew up listening to that stuff too. To, yeah. You know, I mean, short of any personal experiences I have with the musicians, it's part of it's all in there it's in the soup you know it's stuff that just comes out sometimes you're sometimes i know where it comes from uh sometimes i'm not sure where it's coming from and i'll hear something i did later and go i stole that somewhere <laughs> okay. yeah I, but um but that's but say more about the the difference with the road and studio yeah i would so i would love to to know what your opinion is on because a lot of our listeners don't get to talk to the 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 backing band except for you know katie and i when we have our conversations but we're, we're mostly talking to the front people and so i would love to for you to explain kind of what the difference is between the being a live performer versus being a session musician because it's a mental switch right um perhaps at first so when i moved here when i moved to nashville um and I think there's probably this this way of thinking probably still exists in the minds of some people, but it's not as common as it used to be. But you you'd be thought of as, as a, oh, it's a road player and a session player, and never the twain shall meet. Right? You either do one or the other, and you commit to your path, and that's what you do. Um, I didn't. I never bought into that really because I wanted to make a living. I had to, and I didn't. If if you're fortunate enough from the from the very beginning to fall into a, a, a touring situation that's going to keep you employed for ten years, well, that's great. If you're one of the very few people that move to Nashville and start immediately getting hired to do recording sessions, and that just becomes your thing, that's great too. It's fine. But all the rest of us really exist in a world in between, and 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 don't buy into that um, uh, binary way of thinking about it at all. So, um, the, over time, you know, in the studio, I, I think at first for, I'll speak for just for myself, uh, you get used to listening to yourself, you know, you're playing the song you're playing with other people and, but, but especially early on when you're just trying to figure out like, what's my sound? How do I, how, how do I get faster? How do I, 
how do I do, can, how do I nail this in fewer takes? It's, it, it, um, I, it becomes very inward focused. And at the same time, it's sort of where like, you know, we're playing on a song for somebody else. It's their song. So it has to, what I'm doing has to support the song, it has to support. And especially with bass, you know, you're the, you're the uh, link between harmony, rhythm, and melody. And bass dict has a, people don't realize sometimes how big a role it plays in determining where the song goes harmonically or rhythmically. Like it's one of those things you take it away or you change something in the bass or you, you play a chord inversion and, it, and you start to take, you start to take the song somewhere. You have a lot of power to do that. Um, so, but you're all the time. I, I think early on, I was mostly thinking of like, Oh, this is going to be, you know, on a, on a recording. So here it ends basically like here, and as for performing live, I always love performing live and, and having um, uh, people on the stage, people observing. There's that little bit of, you know, a little bit of unpredictability and, and curiosity and, and just be, you know, it's, and there's energy. There's energy in a live performance that you don't always have access to in the studio setting, depending on what it is you're doing, who you're working with and what you're expected to do or who you're expected to be on any given day. Um, so fast forward now to present day when I'm listening to a song or I'm recording a song in the studio, I, I, aside from all the stuff pertaining to supporting the song, supporting the artist, playing the right part, listening to everything else that's going on and blending in, I'm also conscious of, well, where's this, where does this person perform? What's the size of this audience going to be? Is this, is this intimate? Are these intimate venues that they do? Or do they play in large arenas? Cause that's going to dictate the sounds I choose, how the parts that I play. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I'm, you know, it's almost like you actually, regardless of, of the setting though, I, you actually start to, when you, when you become outward focused, as a player, or when I became outward focused, I played more sim simply and would instead then occasionally choose moments where like, oh, you know what? I think we can do, I'm, I think I can do something really cool here. What do you think of this? And I throw an idea out there where it could be maybe a little bit of a bass feature or or just something out of the ordinary, unexpected. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's good for healthy. I don't, I don't I don't think, um, how shall I say this? I'll, I'll, I'll say it from a positive perspective. I think <laughs> you, become, you gain a lot more uh, in terms of your own musicianship when you, are, when you do both. And you know, um, you, you, and you're thoughtful of, of my audience today is this, like if you're in the studio, my audience today is everyone that's here in the studio. And I'm going to play like we're playing in front of an audience. And then playing live, I'm going to support this. I'm going to be sensitive to what's happening in this moment with this artist and and um, stay in my lane and until time comes when maybe they don't want us to stay in our lanes anymore and we can we can dig in a little harder, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that makes any sense or answers your question. Uh, no, um, it definitely does. I think um, 
I really like what you said about, uh, okay, I'm in the studio, it ends here, and then when you take it to the live portion, you can kind of expand on what's already there and turn it into a completely new experience. And so being able to do both is really advantageous to whoever wants to play whatever as an instrumentalist or as a musician, mm -hmm. even as um, session singers. It's important to do both, yeah. to have like the energy that you can put into a recording that can basically be replicated, but also have the energy to take it a step further on the stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also, think of it in terms of actors who are used to performing in theater mm. and used to playing very broadly. It's a lot different when there's a camera right here yep. <laughs> and they have to, and they have to dial it back. So we have to acquire that. Hopefully we all acquire that same sensitivity as musicians to know uh, when we can, when we can back off when it's appropriate to, you know, <laughs> back off and when we can lean in. Um, uh, so, and I think it makes us more well-rounded uh, players and listeners. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I, I've, one of my drummers, he uh, he and I were having a, dis a discussion about how he he does not like to be in the studio. For him, that that is it's it's very rigid, and he's one of those players where he likes to kind of throw caution to the wind when it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And and on stage, Eric and I can read each other like books. Like we 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 look at each other and we have a conversation without words. I know you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and it's hard to it's hard to capture that in the studio, and and still get that same amount of energy. So we've agreed that if if I need to like record any kind of drums, I have to record the drums because he he's just like I I can't do it. He's like I you're not going to be right there with me. I can't feed off your energy. I can't do it. <laughs> and I think I, I think we all need to feel comfortable in our own skin and, and yeah. acknowledge that you know if that's what makes him the happiest, great. Yep. That's, and and there's nothing else to explain beyond that point, you know. Right. Um, and knowing our, I, I won't even. That's that's to me sounds more of like a choice than a limitation. I'm sure. Right. You know, he could choose to 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 play in a more contained way in in that studio environment. But if he just doesn't want to, fine, don't. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, do what you love. Do it. Do it. And do things the play music the way you want to play it as much as possible. So. Um, and that works the other way too. There are some studio players who like, they just, they would much rather be in that more controlled environment than be right. out there exposed in front of a, a larger group of people. And that's right. fine too. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to know, could you think of a, of a time when you were on stage with a band? Like, was there one particular band you'd been on tour with where you had that energy and you were just vibing off of each other, like throughout the entire tour? Uh, yeah, the the Emmy Lou band is an interesting. See, the the thing about it, I, I it's naturally I'm going to bring that up because it's the band that I've toured with the longest or performed sure. live with the longest. But uh, in terms of, so the 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 Red Dirt Boys, Emmy's Red Dirt Boys are myself and Phil Madeira and Will Kimbrough, uh, Phil on organ and uh, um, piano and some guitar. Bill Kimbrough plays guitar, uh, Brian Owings on drums, and Eamon McLaughlin uh, plays violin and mandolin. And with the exception of Brian Owings, we're all singing too. So, But Phil and Will are also producers. And so we work together in the studio a lot. 
Cool. Um, and have I've known Phil Madeira since about as long as I lived here. He, he was one of the first pros that that actually became uh, a mentor early on. You know, gave me was kind enough to hire me a couple of times and encourage me, and and so we get to still enjoy this relationship all these years later. Um, so live, though, <clears throat> we are all mindful of. Um, there, there is no musical director for the Red Dirt Boys. It's Emmy, if anybody. Gotcha. But there is a, she. Over, she has um, not one to really get in anyone's space about anything. If she wants to hear something, she'll ask for it. But she, when she's out there in front of an audience, she just you know, that's she just wants to do that. Yeah. She doesn't want to have to pay you know, mind everybody and what they're doing. But, and she trusts everyone. She tr- all these bands she's had over the years have worked because they've had that shared trust. Um, so with Emmy, we are, you know, we've got certain parts that we play regularly. There's always time when we improvise, when we dig in, because she also loves a little bit of jamming to happen. There are songs that are about featuring the band, and she's all for that. She's very generous in spirit that way. Um, now, the Red Dirt Boys, also, we also have done our own records, and we do our own gigs, Oh, and nice. so when we when we do that, the songs as they're constructed are like I don't know if we ever play the same play them the same way twice. There's constantly this sort of jostling for you know doing, <laughs> and push and pull and hope you know in, on the best of days we're interacting meaningfully, um, and then there's occasionally we're just playing all over each other you know yeah. but we're having a great time while we're doing it and it's really fun. And it's exploratory, and and uh, the songs lend themselves to that. So, um, it's just about knowing when to do when you have the freedom to do that, and when you need to subvert yeah. <laughs> your, your performances a little bit, and and um, and uh, uh, play more. You know, just just chill it out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also, part of that includes allowing a lot of space. It's not always about the playing more often than not, it's about not playing. Yeah. Which I'm sure you've heard, you know, we've all heard various anecdotes through our musical careers. Um, uh, you know, Miles Davis talking about the notes you don't play and beat the ones that are most powerful. And so that's part of it too. Um, and I think maybe that's what a lot of, yeah, it just takes, it takes some trial and error and a few embarrassing moments to come to that, you know, before you really internalize it and go, Oh, I, I, I was, playing all over that section there. I didn't need to. That was, that was stupid. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I, I've done it and I, but I, and I still do it once in a while. So it's a journey. Okay. So, um, I hope you don't mind, but I need to kind of fangirl for a second. So as I've been, you know, looking at the, the roster of musicians and bands that you've played with collective soul is one of my favorite bands. So can can you tell me, like, when were you on tour with them? Because I saw them about six times in Ohio. <laughs> and I just, I'm pretty sure I probably saw you. But when were you, when were you on tour with Collective so, Soul? So I didn't tour with Collective Soul. I played on that youth record they did. Because, and, and the way that it came about was that a friend of mine was producing it with Ed. He had gotten uh, uh, sort of conscripted into Ed's creative circle for a solo record. So Ed, when I drove, when I went to Atlanta... To play on that stuff, it was initially under the auspices of an Ed Rollins solo project. Gotcha. 
And then it became a collective soul record after the fact. And I think there are a few tracks on that album that it's actually the tour, you know, the full, the, the, all the band guys are playing on as well. So, um, but my friend then went on to produce a live DVD with collective soul and everything. But, um, so that was just sort of, a. Uh, I think we did a, a, a day or two in Nashville and, and a couple of days in Atlanta at one point, but he, he was great to hang with. Um, and talented guy. He was very generous and sweet and funny. And, and uh, so, yeah, uh, I had a great time. That's working. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've been a massive Collective Soul fan since I was in high school. So that I, to look at that and just see that, I'm just like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what we're learning is if you've ever seen any of your favorite bands on tour, you've probably seen Chris on stage. <laughs> or at least heard him play on one of their albums. <laughs> right. Yeah, because that's it. Like a lot of these, a lot of these artists I've worked with, it's been some, it's been both. I've been on tour with them and recorded with them. Many of them I've just recorded with. Many I've just performed with once or twice, you know. But but touring wise, outside of Emmy and Tom Jones, uh, in recent years, I haven't like toured with anyone full time per se, you know. Gotcha. Uh, uh, and even touring with with Emmy Lou is not. We don't hit the road for weeks at a time. It's a one-off, a two-off, a three-off, and then nothing for a month or two, and then we'll go out and do a week. You know, there's no, uh, it's, fortunately, it's family-friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, when, or was when my kids were small, so they're, they're, they're grown now, and I'm a little more flexible time-wise, so I'll just see where it goes from here. That's beautiful. We talk about this a lot uh, with the guests that come on, just about, like, that family work-life balance, because as musicians, it's different for us because there are people who do go on the road for weeks at a time who have families and then there are people like you who um you do a little bit of both so it seems like you have this nice balance um how did you find that I realize it's a really random question (laughs) No, no no it's um when when my daughters are 20 and 19 now one's Mm -hmm. actually the older one is about to turn 21 when they were very young I did. I was not touring very much. Uh, I would do. I would be out of town for a week here and there for projects. Sometimes to record. There was a time when they were younger, when I was in England a few times a year, and I'd go over to record or perform over there. There was a record label there that I was doing a lot of work for. So I would have a few extended periods out of town, and and uh, Laura, my partner, would would um, you know she she's also self employed. She's a voice coach and. Um, a uh, voiceover artist herself, a writer, performer, all that. So, but two, we were both self-employed, so we could always find a way to figure it out. And occasionally, if we had to travel together, we'd have family step in and stay with the girls. Um, I used to keep my equipment at home when they were very young. And then when they were getting closer to school age, it got too noisy in the house. And I moved my equipment out of the house into this space where I am now. I've been here in here since 2010. Um, and now, strangely enough, it's all coming back around because our younger daughter lives in New York and our older daughter's been, at, uh, she's just finishing her junior year at UT Chattanooga. So, and, you know, of course, in terms of being on campus, she missed a year and a half. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> so, but she's, um, uh, will be presumably will be back on campus again next year and home for the summer. So I've actually started to. To, I 
take a, an instrument or two home now <laughs> and do a little bit of recording and playing it at my house. So I don't always have to come over here every time I want to do something. But, uh, and over the years too, maybe they're, they, especially now that they're older, they understand what life was like in their house, why we traveled so much. And they're also reminded of some of the, you know, I, I know there were times when they did not want me or us to be traveling and, and were, were, um, or did not want to be dragged along on some of these things where we had to take them once in a while. Um, I have a funny story about that. I'll tell you, I'll come back to you in just a minute. <laughs> but now they're starting to understand some, you know, like, wow, we've, and I, and I tried to communicate this over the years to them too. Like you're, um, you're meeting a lot of interesting people and you're exposed to a lot of different kinds of music and, and, there will come a time when you'll begin to appreciate that more, maybe than maybe more than you can right now, and it's okay. But, but this thing we did. So I'll 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 tell you the story. Um, Garrison Keillor was doing Prairie Home Companion at the Ryman, and he's a big Emmy fan. So we did it numerous times during his during the run. Um, and so for that Ryman show, they called about Maven on you must have been. Oh, I'll say nine, ten years old, maybe give or take. And they called about doing Prairie Home. I said, "Yeah, I'm in town. I can do it." But uh, but Laura's going to be out of town, so I'm going to have them myself all day. So, and generally, this is the sort of deal where you show up in the morning and you're there until the evening until because I think you actually do two shows. There's an afternoon performance and then an evening performance. So is it okay if my daughters come with me? And they're like, "Yeah, no problem." Careful what you wish for, right? So, <laughs> so, um, so they came to the Ryman, and you, it's a hurry up and wait. You know, you're you're a lot of standing around and setting up, sound checking, re- rehearsing different parts of the show, which is really was really fun to see in person. Watch them putting that show together, and and uh, how boy talk about being out there without a net. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, there they were met they. Uh, they had scripts, but they would they were very comfortable with improvising and it's live radio, so they had to. Things things happen that are unexpected and they have to be able to recover. So that was really fun to see. And um that evening, I think it was during uh or they, they got to meet Garrison during the day and he signed a little prairie home C D for them and you know, he's about eight feet tall. He's so big hulking figure. <laughs> and my daughters were looking looking up at him like this and and um, and I, so I said, "Hey, so Garrison Keeler, um, remember that. Remember that that happened because I'm going to remind you about it in the future. Um, so try to look around and notice this moment and see if you can preserve it." So, but then by the time we get on stage for the evening set, we're sitting on stage, full house at the Ryman, and the two of them are just like doing that, doing that thing, like going, you know. And I was just like, no, not here, not here. <laughs> On stage during the show at the Ryman, you know, and they're going to start to fight. It was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> we'll leave right now. We'll leave. <laughs> and I think they got it. They looked at all oh, oh, they, but um, so yeah, work-life balance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, musicians, musician dads, they're just like your dad. Yep, <laughs> just like your dad. Fear yeah, of God um, into you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will turn this car around. <laughs> I will right. turn this stage around. Yes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we will walk off stage right yeah. now. Right yeah. now. <laughs> it's it's really sweet now, though, just to put and just to, to, to sort of wrap that all up. It's 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 really sweet to hear them talk about some of their memories that they do have now. And... Um, and they do get a little bit of a rush um, when they talk about or their parents and what we do and the people that we work with to other people and they'll get a reaction because they'll say a name and somebody goes, really? You know, and they, and it's really, it's really sweet. And, and I think for them, they, they start to feel like, oh yeah, you know, I, I have a unique life and, and it's not, you know, it's not been easy, obviously all the usual challenges of parenting and, and uh, and schooling and pandemics and social media, you know, all the all the challenges. But um, they've had a they've had a really interesting experience, uh, and and so we're we're glad for them. And I mean, we know that now they don't take it for granted. They really don't. Uh, we can see that clearly, and they they can articulate that themselves too. It's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's mm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of marveling right now. It's just so amazing. It's incredible. Uh, so um, I gotta, I gotta know the work that you did with the Civil Wars because, again, another favorite band of mine. Mm-hmm. Was I'm guessing was this in studio as well? Yes, and I have, I have done a couple. We did a couple of gigs together. Um, they were probably. Part of I'm sure the times I played with them was probably part of Americana Fest. There were there were a number of years I was in the house band, and I think they they performed once or twice. And uh, and I still see I still see each of them in different in different settings and have and have uh, recorded and and uh, we did yes we did record together as well. I, th- I think it was for a like a compilation record. Um, uh, and I just saw John Paul on the Kayamo cruise. Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, he was out there. I think it was that we did two cruises. <laughs> from, strangely enough, um, did the Outlaw cruise and the Kayamo cruise was two weeks later. So we wound up doing them both. And I think he was on the Kayamo cruise. But, um, wow. but uh, yeah, yeah, super talented. Oh, yeah. Very talented. Mm-hmm. Incredibly mm-hmm. talented. Mm-hmm. Um so it was just the just the compilation album, but you weren't on any of their like studio albums or anything. I don't think so. I don't remember doing any multi day recordings with them, which that would have been. I think it was mainly one off sessions here and there. Gotcha. Um, for other projects, but um, uh, and maybe benefit records, you know, things like that. Sure, sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. So just out of curiosity, Chris, do you know how many songs you've played on? Just, no, just no, no, there's no, there's, um, I wouldn't even know how to guess at something like that. <laughs> uh, well, I'll give you a hint. You're on the theme song to this podcast. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Okay. The theme song to this podcast is my song, Shaking in My Boots, which we okay. recorded back in, oh gosh, when we recorded Making It Up As We Go in 2017, 2016. Okay. 
Okay. That whole album. So wow. that was supposed to be on that album, and then we decided it wasn't. So we just held on to it, and then it got released last February. <laughs> okay. And wow, it became right the theme song on. to this podcast. Life. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah. It definitely merits another another listen then for sure. <laughs> it's a fun song. Excellent. Are you coming back to Nashville? Well, where I, where are we all coming from today? So I'm in Nashville. You are here, okay. And how about yourself? I I am in Ohio. Okay, what part of Ohio? Uh, near Columbus. Okay, uh, it's uh, Delaware. It's about thirty minutes north. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. So you are in Nashville and are you, are you, you have more, not to turn the tables or anything, but do you have more recording plans or writing plans? And um, so the stuff we worked on most recently um, in 2021, I think we recorded it in like August, the last time I saw you. Okay. Um, yeah. That is coming out this year. Congratulations. Thank Fantastic. you. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, so get ready for another credit added to that. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Six love more it. songs. Love it. Um, but yeah, no, there's one in there. The bass line, and everybody already knows this song because I play it live everywhere I go. Sunday Crowd, the bass line in Sunday Crowd is one of my favorites that you've yeah. done for me personally. <laughs> ah, okay. Because you take song. like that early Beatles Paul McCartney vibe and then you just take it to church. <laughs> yep. like, yes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I like I get a lot of compliments on that bass line specifically. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'll get to do it again. Yeah. Well, and and Chris, I have to thank you because all of the the recordings that you've been playing on, those are the ones I've been listening to so that I can play in Aaron's backing band. And and I've played at this point I played drums and guitar for her, so I'm always following your bass line to shape what I do oh. on my instruments. Oh, I love that. I love it. <laughs> and and uh, uh yeah, maybe we'll get to do, to do it together sometime. That would be fun. Oh, that'd be if super ever, fun. If, if, that would be too cool. If ever it made sense, please. Yeah, I would love that. Awesome. awesome. So would I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was about to say, Katie, if we do it, you can't fangirl the whole time. Fine, gosh. <laughs> I will just sit there and be stoic, and then I'll, I'll walk away and I'll have a moment. Okay. <laughs> we would have a we would have a great time. I would sincerely love that. So please, you know, if ever it's if ever I can be of use to you in that way, let me yeah. know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That'd be mm-hmm. awesome. Well, I think that rounds it out perfectly. It does. Thank you so much yeah. for being on, Chris. And I, I'm just now noticing, like you're in, you're in Stephen's house where we recorded <laughs> all of the songs. <laughs> like I'm looking at it the whole time. I'm like, that looks like Stephen's house. And then when you said I've been here since 2010, I was like, yep, yep, yep. Stephen's downstairs. Yeah. I know exactly where you are. <laughs> and they're working on a mix right now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll send him. I'll give him greetings for sure. Please do. Please do. Who, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, Stephen Lewicki is my longtime producer. Um, he's mixed everything, including the theme song to this podcast. <laughs> Brilliant musician. Yes, absolutely. He's also played guitar on everything I've done. Mm-hmm. And solid human. Mm-hmm. Solid human being. Love him. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's really fun to be around you guys. Like it's been, this has been a really fun conversation too. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've so enjoyed it. Thank you again for, for making time for me. I, I, I'm still just uh, really honored that you reached out and, uh, you know, hope, uh, uh, as I said at the beginning, I hope there's some stuff in there that's useful and, uh, <laughs> for you and your, and your listeners. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's great stories, great information, great advice. Um, where can everybody find you? Shameless plug time for the most humble bassist in all of the world. The, <laughs> the, the website that you referenced is, um, my name, Chris Donahue, and my last name is two, two O's. So C-H-R-I-S-D-O-N-O-H-U-E at me.com. Perfect. Um, and, and then uh, that's about Instagram. It. Instagram, they can find you at C-B Donahue. Yeah. That, that's D-O-N-O-H. Yeah. C-B-D-O-N-O-H-U-E. And, um, uh, I don't have, uh, but pr that's pretty, that's the extent of my social right now. It's Instagram. Um, uh, I, I use Twitter, but it's not really a music, uh, uh, outlet for me, but so, so Instagram is good. Instagram and the website, those two. Great. The Perfect. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure that links are in the show notes for everybody so that they can go and, you know, just learn more about you and uh, reach out if they if they feel the need. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your amazing stories. It is it has been a pleasure. Same here. Thank you, my friends. Can't wait to hang in person. Yes. So yeah. sooner rather than later, please. Yeah, okay? absolutely. going to be in town in June. So we'll all get together. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Are you going to play while you're here? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, doing a, a showcase with Aaron actually during CMA Fest. Oh, what day is your showcase? June 10th. June 10th? Mm -hmm. It's a Friday. A oh, that's a Friday. Okay. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's check in. It's <laughs> during down. CMA Fest. So I imagine you're going to be very, very, very busy. busy. <laughs> well, I, I have one gig on, on the Thursday, I think, but then I leave town. I'm going, I think I'm going to Los Angeles on the Friday. Oh, I'm gotcha. coming back on Sunday. So I might, I might miss it, but, but I would love to, love to, to meet in person if, circumstances permit though just say hi yeah absolutely okay absolutely coffee, coffee will work all Perfect. right love it <laughs> great talking to you chris thank, thank you so much thank you. thank you again my pleasure what a fun episode chris thank you so very much and remember, everybody, if you want to go check out that extensive list of people that Chris has played with, it is on his website, which will be listed in the show notes. And go follow him on Instagram as well. So again, Chris, thank you so very much. It was a pleasure. And thank you to everybody who has been listening and following so extensively through the course of season two. We really appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to let you listen to Shaking in My Boots so that you can hear Chris play bass again. So thanks, everybody. La, la, la.